We are in our little mini series here. This is our last one for the uh, last one for Matthew. Uh, just for now, we're going to be uh, doing a few psalms next. But uh, this importance of being Israel has been the theme. Uh, Super quick summary, in Matthew 1, uh, Jesus' identity was the big issue. He's not just a member of Rescue Team Israel. He's the king of Israel who'll save his people. God in skin come to rescue them. Uh, but then in Matthew 2 to 4, including tonight, we've seen sort of more the making of the man, not just his background, but how he became this man who would do these things. Uh, so uh, even as an infant, Jesus passes through this sort of these r- ancient rites of passage. He goes through all these spiritual experiences that Israel did, going out to Egypt, fleeing from persecution. Uh, and then in Matthew chapter 3, he takes up the king of Israel's spiritual responsibilities to lead his people in repentance and turning back to God. And he ends up being equipped with God's affirmation of his kingship and the, the gift of the Holy Spirit and now in Matthew 4, having been, so his identity's been in check, he's been formed through his early years, but now he's at final exam time. Final, who, who here has PTSD of final exams? Uh, some of you, really, that's too, too soon, and I'm sorry, but, but we know a lot about Jesus, but it's been sort of from a distance. He just sort of is the king, you know, there's no human uncertainty, risk of failure, he just seems to be this, this bigger than life figure. Today we get to see Jesus up close as he faces final exams. And sometimes I think I find that that's when you get to really know people, <laughs> when they're starting to face final exams. And some of you have done those finals, doctor's exams, accountant's exams, final exam in your trade certificate. They're stressful. You may not pass. It's testing you. And this chapter begins with the spirit that is now upon Jesus. Remember, the spirit came down from heaven on him. Actually drives him out into the wilderness where the original Israel's faith in their God was tested and they were found wanting. And so to here we go. Uh, this starts with Jesus. He's led into the wilderness, wilderness, but to be tested. And it's sort of there's two figures going on here. Um, he is both led by the spirit, but with the purpose of being tested by a liar, by the devil. See, it's like having someone test all your weakest points when you're already at the point of giving up. Do you see it there? He said he fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights. Now, we don't know whether fasting means he ate no food at all, whether he had a little bit of food at night, uh, or whether he had a little bit of food in the morning. We, we, we don't know, the f- but at the very least, at the very end, he's very hungry. <laughs> There's a real physical toll on him. And so just like when you're at your weakest point in a marathon, your body says, give up. We've got a devil who rocks up then. Now, in the, uh, in the English, devil is like a transliteration of the diabolos in the Greek, but it doesn't mean a little guy in a red suit or a bad guy at the end of a video game. There's no little pitchforks. The word actually means slanderer, false accuser, liar. And so we're meant to think of the snake in the garden. He's shown up again. You remember there's an evil genius sort of hinted at being behind the scenes in the first scene of the movie. And once again, now we're coming towards the end of the movie, the climax. He pops in, the big bad guy. It tells us two things. This tells us, one, that the Jesus story is actually the story of the whole world coming to full circle. The beginnings of humanity are now, being, are now, are now coming to, to roost. The, the, the climax of that drama is, is happening. And secondly, it's getting serious. 
because the main protagonists are again squaring up. You don't get the big bad guy and the hero fighting until right at the end, right? This is a scene. Now God here allows his king to be tested. And for the slanderer, it's a chance to, it's, it's, it's his chance to have a go, to, to corrupt God's champion. Isn't that the best? This is the Joker in the Dark Knight, wanted just to corrupt the white knight of Gotham to show everyone that actually people are bad. And there are three temptations for Jesus. The temptation to remove discomfort, the temptation to remove uncertainty, and the temptation to remove suffering. And the devil gets straight at it. If you are the son of God, he says. If you are the son of God. Did you notice that he attacks identity first? Are you Are you really? See, I wondered, like, did Jesus know that he was the Son of God? Like, what do you mean? Like, like no, like supernatural link, no. How certain was he? Did he believe just because his mum told him that he was the Son of God? Like, there's a lot of mums who have said a lot of really, you know, slightly over-the-top, overly positive things about their sons over the years, and a lot of those sons have been very sceptical. Is that all it was? See, I suspect Jesus had to deal with those doubts. And like in the garden, the tempter starts with, oh, really? You sure? If that's true, you hardly need to be in this level of discomfort, Jesus. You must be in agony. You must be starving. Go, use your power to feed yourself. There's a lie in the question, as there is with the devil always. Even in the question itself, the lie is that Jesus needs food and water to live. And Jesus actually sees the lie and he calls the liar on his lie. He quotes Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. He says, no, actually that's not true. All I need is the life-giving God. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. God, that God so far in my life has used bread to sustain me. Not much bread in my case, a lot of rice, not so much bread. Uh, more makes me, that doesn't make me, that no more makes me dependent on rice than my old dog would have starved if Chum had have suddenly gone out of business, right? Because Mitzi, my, my old dog, like, she had owners who loved her. We cared about her. No Chum, who cares? We'll, go, we'll get some pal. Jesus says, no, 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 no. As a life giver, He's the one that I need, and so I will trust God. It's a deep seeing through the lie. And Jesus, in so doing, ends up pointing himself away from his own feelings and his human intuitions towards the word of God, what God has actually said. You see, his body would have been screaming, no, Jesus, you need bread. You need the bread. But he doesn't mistake what his mind and his body think they need for what actually will give him life. A period of intense discomfort doesn't stop him from remaining, from remaining faithful. He's not ruled by his feelings or swayed from the truth by the emptiness of his stomach. And so the devil moves on. Now, the devil doesn't just move on, though. The devil notices things. He is wily, if nothing else. Uh, he notices two things. One is that Jesus doesn't seem to have much regard for his personal safety. Right? He's totally fine with risking stuff. Okay, I might use that. And secondly, he notices that Jesus is using the word of God to fight back. Devil's like, okay, I'm no stranger to using the word of God against people. Let's, let, let's go round two. 
and Jesus, he takes Jesus, and we don't really know if he literally took him in the physical sense there. What that was, we don't know if it was a vision thereof. It's hard to tell exactly. The same with the same with the going up to the, the mountain in the third temptation. But but at the very least, Jesus' experience of it is a very real one, right? It's a very real thing. Now he takes him to the high point on the temple. According to the, Roman, uh, the Jewish historian Josephus, dizzyingly high is the, the words that he used. And he says, well, look, okay, so if you are the Son of God, again, just driving that wedge in a little bit more, but trying to, between Father and Son, between Jesus and his identity, well, throw yourself down. Throw yourself down. Uh, the, he's going to command his angels concerning you. That's, what, that's what's written, isn't it? This is what's in the psalm. They'll lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He quotes Psalm 91, verses 11 to 12. Well, he almost quotes it. And uh, because we've had, you know, we had a long, we had a long, uh, a long, and I'm really glad we invested that time. Kids, kids, sort of uh, storybook that was really beautiful. I'm gonna set you a little thing if you're one of those, you know, Bible nerds who really desperately wants to know how did you, how did uh, uh, Satan twist that psalm? We'll go have a look it up. Have a look. Read up, read it up on Psalm 91, 11 to 12. Read the whole psalm and see where does he quote it and where does he almost quote it. But, but. Um, the question is, what's the devil appealing to here? Because so far, I don't know too many people who are hugely tempted by uh, being told to jump off a bridge. Okay? Jump in the lake? Sure. Kids do that all the time. But the thing is, even then, the more you tell them to do it, the less they're going to want to do it. Right? Because then all of a sudden, who's going to want to jump off the temple? What is he appealing to in Jesus? I... It, it's hard to tell. There's a couple of possibilities that we, we all go through that are, that, are the, that are a lot of the commentators and my best guesses as to what I think's going on here. And some of them, some of them, at the very least, there's a real substance to some of them that we can hugely learn from. He hits that identity button again, did you notice? If you are the Son of God. And I wonder if what he's doing here is appealing to Jesus' ego, to Jesus' desire to win the fight against the devil. It's almost sort of ironic, isn't it? And so, is he appealing to this devil saying, hey, go on, prove it. And then if Jesus doesn't, he's like, well, <laughs> you don't trust God. Yeah, you're clearly not God's son. He's egging him on. And so the lie in the situation, though, that Jesus once again sees through is that Jesus needs to convince the accuser. Have you ever been in a conversation that later on you realize... Why did I act like I had something to prove to that person? Act sort of just made things awkward and I got myself into knots. Well, Jesus is so wise, he does not fall into that. He doesn't need to prove anything to him. So, secondly, it, it, it could be actually that he wants to, to demonstrate or prove something to the people. You see, the devil here takes him to a public place, to the temple. This is where everyone is. This would shut up the doubters. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, what are they going to do if, if you jump off the temple and angels come and, and, and take hold of you? Why wouldn't Jesus want to silence the doubters? Surely that's tempting. I, I, I want to silence doubters of me, don't you? Can you imagine the temptation to do this and to have everyone recognize the truth? Or maybe the temptation was actually... To Jesus himself. Has the wedge slid in a little? 
Because you would imagine, as he's, if, if Jesus is actually human, well, am I really God's son, the chosen one, or am I just making all this up in my head? The Bible says, I mean, we don't know what's going on in Jesus' head here, but Scripture does say that he was tested in every way, just the way that we are. He was genuinely human. Did he feel uncertainty within himself, about himself? And did he feel the temptation to just want to reassure himself? Instead of trusting the word of God. But Jesus says, no, I, I, I do not want the safe haven of reassurance after reassurance, of sign after sign. And he steps out in faith saying, no, God has spoken. And he says, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I have no need for that because I trust what he has said to me. Now, uh, I don't know what you've heard or what you think about putting the Lord to the test. But like, what is that? I mean, you know, Gideon asks for a fleece and then asks for it multiple times. He wanted the dry ground and the wet fleece and then the wet fleece and the dry ground. And, and, and how, how really is putting the Lord to the test different from asking God for big things in prayer in faith? How do you know when I'm doing it? I would say that putting the Lord your God to the test is the demanding of further proof from God than he has given rather than looking back to his past consistent faithfulness. Particularly when he has said, look back on this particular past consistent faithfulness from me for your reassurance. See, in this case, were Jesus to actually do this and jump off, he would be contriving an artificial situation that demands that God must act in a certain way or else he's not really who he says he is. Either he doesn't really love or he's lied in the psalm or maybe he's lied in saying that Jesus, uh, that Jesus will be his son. Now, one of the interesting things here is that just like the the the, the um, just like uh, the Israelites as they've just come out of Egypt, just like Jesus having actually come through the the um, the Jordan the Jordan River and and having heaven open up and say you are my son and the Holy Spirit coming down and just like us after Christ, uh, God has just saved and done this magnificent salvific act. Now. Um, Jesus, Jesus quotes, you may have realized, I might have looked at your footnotes in your Bible. Jesus quotes are all from one little section of Scripture. They're from when the people of Israel, they had just come out of Egypt, they're on their way to the Promised Land, and they're just about to enter the Promised Land, and Moses stops and says, hey guys, he, he gives them a few sermons, basically. You've got to remember this stuff. And so Deuteronomy 6 to 8, these three chapters, all of his quotes in response to the devil are from them. They should be, God's people back then, the, the context is, hey, remember, I just saved you from Egypt. I brought you through the Red Sea. I then gave you food through the wilderness for so, so long. I sustained you for so, so long. Continue to trust me now. See, uh, putting the Lord to the test says to God, if you don't act in such a way as calms my disquiet that I feel, that makes me feel better, then you're not living up to your end of the bargain as being my God. And so I'm going to put you to that test. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do things that force you to either, either, either leave me in a bad state and then I'm like, oh, throw my hands up. 
or then you answer and then it's like, well, now you're beholden to me every time I, I, I put you to the test again. We'll, we'll see if you'll jump when I, we'll see if you say how high when I say jump. Putting God to the test is failing to go back to the recent salvific work of God and trusting what God has said about it. Brothers and sisters, we actually have Jesus' life, death and resurrection and his ascension. And even now, I guess after looking at this passage or through this passage, we have his temptation to look back on to prove Jesus' character. God spoke in the shedding of blood. He gave of himself. And so when our trust wavers, when your trust wavers, Rather than putting the Lord your God to the test, what we do is we meditate on these things. We meditate on the things that God has done for us. All right, last one, last temptation. Jesus was tempted to remove suffering. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he says. If you'll bow down and worship If you just worship me instead, just bow down. There's no indication that this is like an ongoing thing. Just this once. Just one little kneel, one little, you know, this to the devil instead of to the Father. And there's some, remember, there's some serious pain to avoid here. You see, this route to becoming the king of the world doesn't go through the cross. It doesn't go through Roman torture. It doesn't go through humiliation. It's straight up vindication and pleasure and joy quickly. Do you remember the garden? Do you remember how, how much Jesus was trying to get out of it at that moment? He's asking God any other way, anything else. Is there, is there a single other way? Here's another way. It's being offered. Now you might be thinking, oh, a little unconvincing. Like, I mean, does the devil really own all of that to give it to him? Well, in a way, it's the, it's, the, it's the realm, the prince of the ruler of the air, as we're told in the New Testament. It's sort of his domain right now when it's under the, under the auspices of sin. And of course, the devil offering people what they already had has worked before. <laughs> Remember that in the Garden of Eden where he says to Eve, hey, if you eat from that fruit, then you'll become like God, knowing good and evil. And you don't think he should have said, hold on, I'm pretty sure I know from chapters 1 and 2 that I'm made in God's image and he's told me what is good for me and what will hurt. He's done this before and it worked. Jesus trusts that his God is good. And again, he uses God's word to respond. Worship the Lord your God. Serve only him. I've got three quick little, quick little things that are interesting to notice in this passage and then two little applications. First one is, I just think it's cool that Jesus memorized Scripture. You know, it's that, like you've got to be one. It's, surely he was like in Deuteronomy at that point, you know? He's just, everything is in the last three chapters. And like sometimes I feel dumb if like I'm sort of talking to people and like everything that I've said is just from like my devotional reading in the morning. Like I can't remember any other bits of the Bible than what's just happened. I'm like, it seems like Jesus memorized Scripture which is beautiful because then it means that the very words of God were always guiding him, not just his take on life that he'd managed to work out. Second thing that's interesting to notice is that Jesus here commands Satan to go, and he does. Did you see that? Where is it? Uh, Away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God. He'd been putting up with him. He didn't have to. He could have told him to leave when he first showed up. Get out of here. 
Now see, we ask God not to lead us into temptation, as we prayed earlier tonight, as Jesus taught us to pray. But when the fate of the world relied on it, Jesus submitted to the experience of being led by the Spirit into weakness of spirit and soul and mind and body as he was in the wilderness, and temptation to face it for us. Third little interesting note. The angels came and attended him, giving him what he needed. It's, like, it's what God does. He does give us what we need. Now, what do we learn about temptation from this? What are the two applications we've got here? I think the first application we've got to have here is that we can trust Jesus. You can trust him at a character level. Jesus is not self-interested. He's not in this for himself. He's not petulant and dominated by his feelings. He's got the stamina for the long haul. He endures until the end and never giving in. He's at the limits of his strength. And yet for us, to save us, to save you, so that you would be able to be free from being a slave to sin and living for only yourself and all of the darkness and curled upness and brokenness that that brings, for you to live for something greater than yourself, for the one who made you, to, to, to be free from sin. In life, he never skimped or took the easy way out in his mission to love you, not from the start, not in his final exams, and not on the cross, when it must have been most tempting to just say, God, legions, yep, I want the legions of angels, I'm out of here, I'm done. But there are no corners cut, no questionable business practices in his pursuit of you. What a beautiful, what a good saviour we've got. And lastly, God will give us what we need. See, as he held on for his true inheritance, as we've seen in the end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, all authority in heaven and earth is now given to me, says Jesus, not the cheap, easy version that the devil offered him. God gives him everything that for a time he gave up. His immediate needs given by the angels. Whatever they were, we're not exactly sure, but whatever they, were, they attended him, they took care of him. And the honor and glory is the ruler of the world that the devil offered him. After his death and resurrection, he says, it's mine, I have it now. See, the thing with temptation is that in temptation, we're, we're made to think, if I hold out on it, it's going to be harder. If I resist temptation, it's going to get worse as I go on, right? Because the craving will get stronger because I'll, 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 I won't get this thing that I need. And, and, and so then like, uh, it'll, get, it'll just feel worse and worse and more. And then, I'll, and, look, and then I'll just give in anyway. And feel stupid, and so then I might as well give in now, avoid the suffering and the and the agony of self-control and the self-doubt along the way, and all of the oh, will I, won't I, and all of all of all of the discomfort along the way. And that is the lie of the devil. The lie of the devil is that if I hold out on this temptation, I will not get what I need. And Jesus found that when he unbelieved that lie. And he put his trust in God that he received from his Father everything that he needed and more. In our temptation, we can trust Jesus. And in our temptation, we've got to remember to hold on. For Jesus, for God, will give us what we need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus and his character. We thank you that he didn't give up, that he stuck with you, that he put his trust in your word. And Father, now as we hear it, as we hear you speak to us through that, 
Father, we pray that you would help us to put our trust in your living word, Jesus Christ himself. God, when sin calls and says what you really need, what's going to make you feel good, what's going to make everything okay is this sin, Father, help us to unbelieve that. And Father, give us what we really need so that, Lord, we might experience the joy of freedom from sin. Father, thank you for Jesus, the one who uh, is, is perfect for us, so that as we fail in this, we need not despair, but rather know that even our sin you have provided for, so that truly at the end we'll be able to say that absolutely everything that we have needed, you have provided. Thank you, Lord, for your Son. In his name we pray. Amen.